I feel like in the world today, we've lost sight of the meaning of the word love. You know, like, I, I feel like it's a word that we use very flippantly. A word where it's like we, we'll describe different things and, and we'll use the word love just like, I don't know, like, like you'll see people in a, in a relationship, like a, a, a middle school guy and girl, they've been dating for like a day and they're like, I love you, babe. And it's like, that's such a strong word. It's such a powerful word, yet we'll use it so casually today. You see it even just so often in, in music. It's a word, I feel like there's so many songs about love. You know, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. No, I sound just like that. No, I, all right. So, or, uh, you know, L is for the way you look. O is for the only. Have you guys had singing lessons? No? I can tell. Yeah, all right. Uh, or how about this one? You guys might appreciate this one. It's a love story, baby, just say. Yes. No, Taylor Swift? No, no Taylor Swift fans? That's an old Taylor Swift song. Wow. It's, it's all, like, it's all over, though. And we, we use this word, and we just kind of, like, throw it around. And I feel like it's, like, the most used and abused word in the English language. And, and it's funny because I think this area of Scripture also takes that word. This is known as like the love chapter. So, like, But you see these verses in weddings. Uh, you see these verses on like cards, on Valentine's cards, on all these things. And it's so just used flippantly and it's used in the wrong way. So today, my hope, my prayer is your eyes are opened really to what this word love actually means. I'm going to rewind just a little bit. The last part of chapter 12, verse 30, says, And yet I will show you the most excellent way. Paul's getting ready to show us a way of life that is the best of all. A way of life that is better than any other way of life. You see, he just shared with us all the spiritual gifts. Who was here last week? Or not all of them, but a lot of the spiritual gifts. And he said, God's given us these gifts by the Holy Spirit. Some of us have a gift of teaching. Some a gift of prophecy. Some a gift of helping people. Some a gift of healing. Some a gift of miracles. There's all kinds of, a, a gift of a word of knowledge. A gift of a word of wisdom. And he says all of these gifts but then he says, I will show you the most excellent way. And he says this in verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men, that's another gift we learned about, or of angels, but do not have, what? Love. All right, every time I get to the word love, I want you guys all to yell it out with me, okay? We're going to try this again. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have, love. I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have, I gain nothing. Uh, We weren't supposed to yell nothing, silly. All right. So what's happening here? So Paul starts to list the spiritual gifts. He's like, I could speak in tongues. I could be like, but if, if love is not what is behind that, 
if the intent of what I have is to not love the Lord, to not love people, to not, to not do what he's called me to do, if love's not behind that, he's like, it's literally like a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. It's just this loud, obnoxious noise. It's literally, instead of it having meaning and purpose, it's just, like, he's like, it's useless. It's pointless. He's saying you can prophesy. You can have all knowledge. You can have this great faith. But if love isn't the engine behind it, if love isn't what's powering it, it's like you could have a, you could have a PS5, right? But if you don't have the power cable, that PS5 is pretty useless. Yeah, yeah I got a PS5. Cool, have you ever played? Well, no, I don't have a power cable, but I have a PS5. Well, don't you want? No, I don't need the power cable. I have the PS5. Right, this is what he's saying. This is how the Corinthians are treating their gifts. I have the gift of tongues. But do you love? I have the gift of tongues. But do you love? I have the gift of healing. I can go around and heal people. But do you love? I have the gift of healing. I have a PS5. You ever played it? No, I don't have a power cable. So you have it. But it's pretty useless without the power cable. You're not, you're not using it to the fullest extent it's capable of being used. And he goes through all of these gifts and he says, if I have this, if I have this, if I even give over my body to hardship, if I suffer, if I let my body be beaten, whatever it is, but I don't have love, it's nothing. So before we get into this, we're going to bring up this word love a bunch, and you guys are going to yell it out. It's going to be fun. I didn't plan that, but I think that sounds fun, right? I, I want to define this love that we're talking about. Oh, there's another song. This love has taken its toll. Oh, no, Maroon 5. No, okay. All right. So someone said she said goodbye. And who was that? Thank you, whoever said that. All right. I'm old. I don't know cool music anymore. There's four different kinds of love that we will see um, from original Greek words, which is super fancy. So when we say love, we're not, we're not talking about like, I love pizza. All right, that's not the love we're talking about. And when I say we use the word love so flippantly and so casually, like that's what, like you really love pizza? Like you might like it a lot, but do you love, like, so, so we're gonna talk, there's four different kinds of love. We're gonna have a cool Greek lesson. There's one, it's called eros. It's, it's basically the love, the intimate love, the like, you know, the physical stuff you do in marriage, that kind of like eros, the where you get the word erotic from. That's one kind of love. It's this very passionate, very crazy, very like powerful type of love. But then there's another one, it's called storge, S-T-O-R-G-E. It's a family love. It's the love of a parent for their child. It's a love, it's, it's funny that I'm going to admit this to you guys, but our son's been like really constipated recently, and we're trying to like, we were trying to do stuff to get him to poop, and so I'm literally, like, I got my finger like in his poop, and it's like, I wouldn't do that, like he vomits on us, like he's peed on me a million times, but why do I tolerate that? Why do I do these? Because I have storge. I have a, a parental family love for my son. Like, it's just a different kind of love. The love a parent has for their child. The love, um, it's, that, it's that kind of love. But then there's another love called phileo. Anybody know what this means? It's a, not phileo fish. <laughs> 
What's your favorite kind of love? The filet fish kind of love. <laughs> hey, baby, I'll take you to McDonald's. We'll get a double stack filet fish <laughs> That made my night. Thank you so much. <laughs> filet fish title. So you guys know the city, Philadelphia? It's the city of brotherly love, right? So phileo, it's a brotherly love. It's a friendship type of love. It's that, that deep friendship like you'd have for a sibling, for your best friend. It's that type of love. But the love we're talking about, you guys have probably heard the word before. It's called an agape love, A-G-A-P-E. I should have put that up on the screen, A-G-A-P-E. It's an unconditional love. It's the kind of love that's unchanging. Like there's nothing you can do to change that love. There's nothing you can do to lose that love from someone if they're giving you agape love. It, it gives to give, not to get anything. It's not like if I do this, then you have to. It's like I do this because I love you, because I want to serve you. I give you everything. It's, un, it's unconditional. A lot of people will refer to agape love as God's love, which is somewhat true because God agapes us. He loves us unconditionally. He lo his love for us is unchanging. His love for us is uncomprehendable. But the thing is, agape love is not just God's love, and it's not the right way to define it because the Bible actually uses the word agape to describe a love that we have too. You see, in John 3, 19, it says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved agape, darkness, instead of light, because their deeds were evil. It's interesting, right? This agape, unconditional love, like it gives to give, not to get anything out of it. Like it uses that same word to describe how we as humans feel about sin. As we as humans feel about darkness, how we as humans feel. It's funny because no one has to teach you to sin growing up, right? You just naturally sin. No one has to teach you to tell a lie. There's something in you that just has to, like, when you're little and your parents say, did you take the cookie from the cookie jar? And you're like, no, I didn't. And they're like, then who did? And you blame someone else, but there's cookie crumbs on your face. Like, why? Because we agape darkness. We agape sin. It's a part of who we are. But thankfully, our God has an agape love for us. And what's happening here is, is Paul is telling us love is greater than any of the spiritual gifts and any other action that we do. Because why? It's the, it's the greatest command. See, in Matthew 22, I asked you guys to turn there, verse 37 or verse 36. Someone's asking Jesus, they say, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest command. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commands. It's literally the greatest commands. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what Jesus tells us. So this is really important. Paul is telling us, like, love should be the power cable to anything that we do. It's what motivates us. It's what powers us. It's, it's his love through us that flows out to others. We show his love to others because he gave us his love first. And he showed it to us. First John would tell us that God is love. God is love. And God showed us his love. It's cool. The whole Trinity shows us love. 
God showed us his love by sending his son Jesus for God so loved the world, right? Jesus showed his love, what? By dying on the cross for us. No greater love has anyone than this than to lay down their life for a friend. The Holy Spirit, Romans 5, 5, it's not as popular of a verse, so I put it up on the screen. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. God takes love so serious that every single part of the Trinity has demonstrated love to us. Think about that. He takes it so serious that the Father showed us love, the Son showed us love, and the Spirit showed us love, poured out God's love into us. So God takes this word love very seriously. And I'm so happy he doesn't just take it seriously and tell us like, hey, you need to love. But he defines love for us. You guys ready to yell love again? 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. You guys start it. Is patient. Is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres never fails. Whew. That's the definition of love. Love is patient. It's kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It's not dishon- it doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It goes through this whole list. And you, you have to read this list. If you read this list and you don't see Jesus, you're, you're, you're blind. This list literally defines Jesus. This is who Jesus is. If you replace the word love with Jesus, these verses would still make sense. I love one translation. It doesn't say love is patient. It actually says love is long-suffering. It says love is, is long-suffering. But it starts off, love is what? Patient. Love is kind. It shows that love is an action word. It's telling us what it, this is what love does. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's an action word. It's something we do. It's not something you just sit back and go, I love. But love shows up. Love does things. Love, love is an action word. It does things. It says love is patient. It's, it literally, it suffers long. Think about how patient Jesus is with us. Think about it. Think about every single time you've messed up. And he still gives you forgiveness. That's patience. Right? Think about this. So many people are like, how come Jesus hasn't come back yet? Well, if he came back, anyone who doesn't know him right now would be stuck here. Would go through seven years of tribulation. I don't know about you guys, but I have friends and family members that I really want to know Jesus. And it makes me happy that he hasn't come back yet because they still have time to get to know him. That's patience. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. See, he's patient. He's taking his time. It might not be in our timing, but he's slow on purpose. It's funny, there's a story where one of his best friends dies. And his friends come to him like, hey, Jesus, Lazarus died. Lazarus is very sick. And Jesus actually waits a few days <laughs> to come do anything. He lets him die. He waits a couple days, and then he comes. And I, I'm sure people are like, what are you doing, Jesus? You let your friend die. But it wasn't that he was letting his friend die. It's that he wanted to do an even greater miracle. And he, brought, he literally says, Lazarus, come forth. And he brings his friend back from the dead. 
like in our world, we're like, wow, what's wrong with him? In his world, he's like, I'm patient. I'm going to do a greater work than you even realize. Love is patient. Love is kind. You guys know the word kind. I don't have to define it. It says it does not envy. See, the problem here is everyone was envying each other's spiritual gifts. You have the gift of tongues. You're so lucky. You went to the Taylor Swift concert. You're so lucky. You have those shoes. You have that system. You have a PS5 without a power cord. Okay, that one's not as cool. All right? You have a filet fish <laughs> You're so lucky. I just have a Big Mac. Filet-O-Fish. <laughs> they were jealous. They were jealous of what each other had. You guys remember a few weeks ago, we talked about they would do this thing called the love feast, and the rich people were literally keeping their food from the poorer people when they were supposed to all give their food to each other. Right? They, they were just, they were so selfish. They were so envious. They were so jealous of what each other had. Right? Jesus isn't like that. Right? Jesus, I mean, Jesus had, had nothing, yet he gave us everything. Right? And then it says it, it does not boast. Another translation would say it doesn't parade itself. It doesn't talk itself up. It doesn't talk about how amazing it is. I bet you guys would love it if I was up here every weekend. Guys, man, you guys have no idea how blessed you are to have me as your youth pastor. I am such a gifted speaker, and I'm funny. I like filet fish That gives me a double, double blessing. You guys just don't realize how, all for the glory of God that I'm so talented. <laughs> Would you guys like that? Right? No, that's boasting. That's prating itself. Like, I don't, like, arrogant, prideful people rub me the wrong way. Bible says Jesus humbled himself to the point of death, death on the cross. Jesus is the exact opposite of boastful. Jesus is the exact opposite of prideful. It says it's not proud. Oh, sorry, it doesn't envy. It does not boast. And it says it's not proud. It's not puffed up. Love's not big-headed. It's not prideful. You guys know who's prideful? Who said Satan? Someone said that. Satan. Satan's prideful. Satan's sin was pride. I want to be like God. That's pride. That's arrogance. So when you're prideful, when you're big-headed, when you think you're better than you are, when you think you don't need God, when you think you can be your own savior, when you think you're too cool for Christianity, all those things, when you're so prideful, Satan looks at you and says, man, there's a person just like me. Right? Love's not prideful. Love is humble. Love is meek. Love is lowly. It's funny, Jesus is described in scripture as a lion and a lamb. Right? Lamb's like the, one of the worst of all creatures. But they're very humble. They're very meek. Right? He can roar like a lion. He can do all this crazy, amazing stuff. He, but he literally became a human. Right? He, he, he is not proud. It says it doesn't look to dishonor others. Love doesn't look to dishonor others. It means it doesn't behave rudely. If you're ever rude to someone, if you're ever trying to make fun of someone, like I did earlier with Halloween Horror Nights, <laughs> right? No, I'm apologizing. I was making fun of you. I, love doesn't dishonor. Love doesn't dishonor others, right? Love builds each other up, right? Love brings their best friend a filet fish am I right, right? That's what love does, right? Love doesn't, doesn't behave rudely, but here's the thing. You have to purpose to be polite, right? I don't know if you guys ever see people who will, uh, 
We're not quite there yet, Nicholas, but <laughs> um, I don't know if you ever see those people who they're not necessarily like mean people, but they come across as rude. You guys ever see people like that? And it's like, you have to tell them, you've got to be more polite. You've got to be, because you're being dishonoring. You don't even realize it. Like I said, love is an action word. You have to purpose to love. It says it's love's not self-seeking. Or sorry, love, yeah, love is not self-seeking. It's other-centered. Think about Jesus. He was all about everyone else. Some of his last words on the cross, the very people who are killing him, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's the least self-seeking thing I've ever heard. Man, if you guys all put me up on a cross, I'd be like, God, kill them. God, get me off of here. God, I'm not dying for them. They don't deserve this. But Jesus, whose love says, Father, forgive them. Love is not angered. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. That one's challenging to me. When you guys get your driver's license here in South Florida, you'll understand. <laughs> Another word is provoked. I get so angry when I'm driving. And it's not my fault. It's because other people are stupid. <laughs> so I'm just, I'm, I'm owning their failures, right? They either drive too slow or too fast or they don't use their turn signals. It's like, just go back to Canada <laughs> or New York or North Dakota. Just kidding. You never see North Dakota license plates. You might not think anger is a big deal, but Moses missed out on the promised land because of one moment of anger. He struck a rock when he wasn't supposed to. And he got punished for it. Love doesn't do that. Love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. I'm so guilty of this. It's funny. Jesus gives us new forgiveness every single day. Our sin is covered. Keeps, he keeps no record of wrongs. Colossians actually tells us in Colossians 2 that he has literally taken the record of wrongs that Satan has written up against us and, and nailed them on the cross. He said, I'm not going to remember these things. They're gone. And I, it's like one of my biggest strengths, my biggest, biggest weaknesses. Like, I remember everything. Like, I literally do. Like, I, I remember such great details, which is really bad when you get in, a, in an argument with your spouse. Because I'll start to list ways that she bothered me or whatever. And what am I doing? I'm listing a record of wrongs. Love doesn't do that. I have the purpose to push those things away and say, no, Jesus forgave me. The Bible says, then I'm called to forgive others. So if you get in an argument with a friend or a family member and you start listing the things they've done wrong to you, that's not love. Love doesn't keep those records. Love forgives. It says love protects Love trusts, love hopes, love perseveres. It protects, it covers. Love covers a multitude of sin. It trusts, it believes the best in others. It hopes, has confidence in the future, it endures. It doesn't give up on others. And it's funny, I said if you put Jesus here, this would make complete sense because this is who Jesus is. But if you were to put your own name there, how ridiculous would it sound? Sean is patient. Sean is kind. Sean does not envy. Sean does not boast. Sean is not proud. Sean does not dishonor others. <laughs> Halloween Horror Nights. Sean's not self-seeking. Sean's not easily angered. Sean keeps no record of wrongs. Sean does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. Sean always protects. Sean always trusts. Sean always hopes. Sean always perseveres. Sean never fails. 
Why'd you guys laugh at that last one? <laughs> Jerks. <laughs> it's funny, though, but put your own name there. And it's funny. I grew up hearing this all the time. I'd be like, yeah, that's hilarious. We're nothing like that. But here's the deal. As you grow in your faith, I'm not saying as you grow older, because it could be you right now, but as you grow in your faith, as you grow closer to Jesus, that should sound less and less ridiculous. So when you read that list with your name in it, my hope, my prayer a year from now, it sounds a little less ridiculous than it does today. Tomorrow, it sounds a little less ridiculous than it did today. For some of you, I, I, hope, my, I hope my prayer is that it doesn't even sound that ridiculous in the moment. I am these things. In small groups, we're going to ask the question, which of these are you best at and which of these are you worst at? Which of these do you need to grow in? Right, but this, excuse me, is what God calls us to do. Verse 8, I got to hustle through these. It says, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. So what's Paul saying? Because this is about spiritual gifts, right? We often take these verses and go, all right, this is what I want at my wedding. Love never fails. But this is saying, no, love should be the power cable behind all of our spiritual gifts. Love should be the power cable behind everything that we do. But then he starts to say, but these things are eventually going to go, prophecy is going to go away. Tongues are going to go away. All these things, the gifts of the spirit are for right now. The gifts of the Spirit are for while we are on earth. Do you know when we die and go to heaven, the gifts of the Spirit aren't going to be something we experience? But love is. Love will never go away. He says, then we will prophesy. Sorry, now we know in part and we prophesy in part. But here's the thing. When we're in heaven, we're not going to need to prophesy because we're already there. There's nothing else to prophesy. We're with Jesus. We're not going to need a secret language in tongues to talk to him because we're going to be with him. What we know will be in full. What we prophesy will be full. You won't need me to teach you the Bible in heaven. Can you imagine if I was in heaven? I was like, everyone gather around. Jesus, come here. I have a Bible study. Jesus, do you know what this word love means? Which love is it? Wouldn't that be weird? Right? We don't, because we don't need these gifts in heaven because we have the gift. We have love in heaven. We have Jesus. He's there with us. Verse 11 says this. Here's where we close. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully. Even as I am fully known. Is he okay? Oh, okay. That was a sneeze. I thought a camel died. <laughs> what a night, man. We got to get him a filet of fish. Verse 13. Don't forget to yell it out. I need it as loud as you guys can. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. love. Worship team, you guys can come up. So what's Paul saying as we close here? This is not a verse about maturity. So many people do, stop being like a child. Put away childish things. No, this is a verse that's describing our time on earth as being children and when we grow up, when we die, when we go to heaven, 
We're adults. We've matured. So Paul's saying right here, he's saying children live for the temporary. But as an adult, you should live for the permanent. And what, what he's saying is one day, our time here on earth, it's temporary. But when we die, we're adults, we're in heaven, it's permanent. But you don't see many children worried about like their retirement or eat, eating healthy foods or any of these things. And he, what he's saying is right now, he talks about a reflection, right? In those days, their mirrors were really foggy, really weird. You couldn't see really well in them. It was kind of dull. It wasn't the best reflection. He's like, we, we see in part. We see like a reflection. We, but when we die, when we go to heaven, it's not a reflection anymore. We see him face to face. He says the gifts of the Spirit, they're not going to be needed anymore. They're going to be overshadowed by the presence of Jesus. I love what David Guzik said. He said, when the sun rises, we turn off the lesser lights. We won't need the gifts of the Spirit anymore. Because we'll be in the presence of love. We'll be in the presence of Jesus. Think of it in the morning when I wake up with Theodore. I always turn our, our family room lamp on. And around 6.45, 7-ish, when it starts to get light out, I, I turn that light off and I open our sliding glass window um, curtains. And I let the light of the sun illuminate our house. I don't need that, that fake light anymore. Because the sun is what's bringing light into my house now. I won't need these gifts. I won't need these things because I'll literally be in the presence of the Son, Jesus, face to face. There's going to be no barriers to God. We'll be in complete fellowship with him. That day in heaven, I shall know. Heaven's precious. We'll see family. We'll see biblical figures. We'll see Moses. We'll see Peter. We'll see Paul. We'll see all these great heroes. We'll walk the streets of gold. We'll see the pearly gates. But the best part is him. Heaven's not heaven without Jesus. Heaven's not heaven without God. In heaven, there's not even a need for a son because Jesus is the light. He's the source of light in heaven. Paul's saying all these things, they're so temporary, they don't matter because that day our faith, he talks about faith, hope, and love, our faith will become sight face to face. Our hope in Jesus' return will be realized. But the greatest of these is love. Why? Because his love endures forever. So my hope, my prayer, would you guys, you guys would realize the love God has for you, this patient, kind, doesn't envy, doesn't boast, isn't proud, it doesn't dishonor, isn't self-seeking, isn't anger, doesn't keep a record of wrongs, protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres. That's the love God has for you. And that's the love he wants you to love him with and with the rest of the world with. And because he's love, he's given you the ability to love others in that way. Amen?